And we're really, indeed, very, very pleased uh, tonight to have this amazing panel of co-authors in, in a publication which looks fascinating. And I hope all of you will uh, be interested in possibly buying or ordering online, and it will be for sale at the end of our um, this conversation today. And also, I just want to state before we, uh, as we start, that we'll have a little reception upstairs where everyone is invited um, uh, at the end of this conversation. So with that, I'd like to, uh, to simply say that I'm, I think we are in, a, in a, an amazing period of transition in Europe overall. Um, we're not quite sure if we're at the edge of the abyss or at the beginning of a wonderful new road towards uh, perpetual peace. Um, but indeed, it's therefore very appropriate that we discuss transition at all geographical levels in Europe. And, and today we are going to discuss a fascinating um, lens on the transition uh, in Bosnia and more generally in the Balkans. So I'm going to pass it on to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. To say a little bit more about how this is going to be organised over the next um, um, annual quarter or so, um, we're going to open with a few um, uh, comments from um, Professor Richard Kaplan, um, who's kindly um, agreed to, to open this session. Um, and then we're going to move on uh, to the panel uh, contributions, where I've asked each panellist to speak uh, for between five and ten minutes. Um, to pick a theme potentially, pick a theme or a section of the book that really struck with their own research interests um, and to, to reflect on that for a short period of time. And then after those four uh, contributions, um, I'll be opening the, the questions uh, to, the, to the floor. So I can look around the room and see with a lot of expertise in the room. It would be fantastic to hear from, from, from everyone here um, and their thoughts on the, on the book and the panel contributions. So without further ado, um, I'd like to um, welcome uh, Richard, Professor Richard Kaplan to say a, a few words to, to open up the debate this evening. Thank you. I'll, I'll keep my remarks brief because I think the centerpiece of this evening um, is rightly the panel discussion. But I just want to echo Calypso and expressing my great pleasure on behalf of CSOX in welcoming you this afternoon to the launch of this um, publication, uh, From Peace to Shared Political Identities. And I think, uh, as Calypso said, it, it's a very timely publication. Uh, in many respects, Bosnia-Herzegovina today is at a crossroads, facing an uncertain future. And this is an appropriate moment, I think, uh, to explore pathways in contemporary Bosnia-Herzegovina as uh, the, the, um, the subtitle is so aptly given to, uh, to this book. Now, uh, Winston Churchill once famously said about Russia that it was a, a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And I think the same could be said about Bosnia-Herzegovina today. It's defied many of our expectations the scenario envisaged for post-Dayton Bosnia-Herzegovina was a fairly simple one. Power-sharing arrangements would allay immediate fears arising from persistent insecurity among the, the principal uh, national communities, while the prospect of membership in the European Union would promote reforms that would build a more integrated state and at the same time build confidence among Serbs, Croats, and Bosniaks in particular. A simple formula, I'm not underestimating the, the challenges, and I don't think anybody was at the time. 
but that was in many respects the logic that in, underpinned uh, international engagement. Now, if that, if that was the plan, the reality has been something rather different. Bosnia-Herzegovina today is char characterized by entrenched uh, ethnic division and a stalled reform process, constitutional and otherwise, that's calling into question the basic functionality of the state. Meanwhile, a crisis-ridden European Union makes Bosnian accession less promising and from the Bosnian standpoint also less attractive. The carrot, which was never inducement enough, may now be withering. As a, there's a curious irony about Bosnia-Herzegovina. When, with the eruption of war in 1992, the country began to attract widespread international attention, there was a broadly held view at the time that the situation in Bosnia-Herzegovina was so complex that it almost defied comprehension. The tendency of the media as a result, re reflected also in the pronouncements of statesmen and stateswomen, was to oversimplify the crisis dynamics. The lenses available to observers, I would argue, did more to distort than it did to clarify the situation on the ground. And try as they might, informed scholars and analysts were unable, I'd say, to correct these distortions. And so we were left with very simplistic explanations, such as ancient ethnic hatreds, as a way of explaining what was happening uh, in the country. Now, the irony, I said that this is a, there's a curious irony about Bosnia hundreds ago, and the irony is that today, many scholars and analysts are themselves confounded by the Bosnian question. And I think that's what makes the contributions to this volume so welcome. The volume provides valuable insights into many different aspects of contemporary Bosnia-Herzegovina from a very wide range of perspectives. The contributors to this volume not only shed light on where Bosnia-Herzegovina is today and how it got there, and so doing examine areas that don't usually fall within the purview of analysis. I think just a glance at the table of contents will make that very clear. But they're also bold enough to push the envelope and to consider alternatives uh, that uh, are not uh, often on the table for consideration, such as uh, alternatives to present um, constitutional and other arrangements so with respect to consociationalism. Uh, for instance, which is a very prominent um, uh, part of the analysis in this collection. Now, when I was thinking about what I might be able to say to encapsulate everything that's in the, the volume, I realized very quickly that my remarks would never do justice to the, the richness in the analysis. And I, I hope you'll get a better sense of that from the presentations this evening, but more importantly from um, picking up the, the book, which I can only encourage you to do and to discover for yourself um, the, the very interesting and important um, scholarship that the contributors to this volume are, are providing. So um, I look forward to your remarks this evening. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, so <coughs> on that note, we'll, um, we'll move straight into the, into the panel uh, contributions, um, which I'm sure will pick up on some of the themes um, that, that uh, Professor Kaplan has, has introduced, uh, and then we'll be opening up the floor. So, open with by asking um, Nina Stojanovic to um, uh, start with his panel uh, comments. Thank you very much. Um, I will try to, to, to be brief um, and, to, and to discuss one, one aspect uh, that emerges um, in, in, in 
book. Uh, I, I read again uh, with a lot of interest the uh, introduction by Francis Schengel and Sylvia Ramel. Um, and one of the uh, of, of, of the topics uh, is the uh, is democracy and relationship between uh, democracy. What does it mean to be to have a democratic polity? And on the other on the other side, the um, the role of of the citizens. And, and that's something that is, uh, is 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 pretty much current also in in the. In this, in this crisis of the European uh, Union, because what we do witness is a, a general scepticism uh, of the political elite uh, towards uh, any idea to give to give more more uh, rights, more more voice to uh, to citizens. So uh, if, I don't know if you have followed some of these debates, and, and even in the past days, uh, for instance, in Germany, uh, Jürgen Habermas is very much. Critical about this refusal of of, of Germany, France, uh, or, or putting Greece under pressure not to have not not to hold a, uh, to, to have a referendum on on on, 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 on the current uh, crisis. So this skepticism towards towards letting letting people have a say a voice in this in in, in, uh, in this crisis. And something similar is. Is happening in, in, in Bosnia because if you have uh, followed the uh, some developments after the conference that we had well three years ago in Geneva, uh, you could see that there were some interesting developments and basically uh, most most importantly this uh, uh, judgment uh, decision of the uh, European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, the Sadish Finci decision that says that. The, 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 uh, some very important Bosnian institutions uh, are, are contrary to, to, to the European Convention because they discriminate against all those citizens who do not belong or do not want to belong to any of the three constituent peoples. So uh, this um, decision was, was taken um, in, in, I think, in December 2009, if I'm right. And uh, it was December, I think. No, it wasn't 2000. It was 2009. Uh, and according to this decision of of, uh, of Strasbourg, the uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina <coughs> has to, uh, to have some, at least some constitutional reform, and basically has to reform uh, two major institutions, which are the presidency uh, of of the country uh, and one of the two chambers of the parliament, the, the House of. Uh, Peoples. So these two institutions uh, must be changed, reformed, because uh, uh, according to the Dayton Peace Agreement, only Bosniak Serbs and Croats can, uh, uh, can can be part of these institutions, and no other uh, citizen of Bosnia and Herzegovina who does not identify with these three groups. So uh, this is a new development in, in, in Bosnia, as I said, after the. Uh, Conference in Geneva, and what we are, what we have witnessed is that the the, the local political elite, but also uh, some some um, let's say foreign advisors uh, or even Venice Con Commission, they try to to, uh, to 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 reform these institutions by, uh, for instance, as far as presidency is concerned, uh, by by. I would say taking again the, uh, the, the, the power 
uh, from citizens and, and putting this political power into, into the hands of the political elite. Because today, the three members of presidency are directly elected by the people. Uh, and tomorrow, according to, 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 to most uh, let's say to most proposals that uh, I, I, I heard of in, in Bosnia, the, the idea is to, to have the parliament elect the presidency. Uh, and they say, well, the parliament will elect the presidency, perhaps they will, will have one president and two vice presidents, that's, that's another option, but still, it will be the parliament, and we won't, you know, we, we won't have any anywhere written down, it must be a Serb, Croat, and Bosniak, but we'll make sure that through the a complex system of, 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 of vetoes, um, of constituent peoples who are, who are represented in Parliament, we'll make sure that in the end of the day we'll still have you know uh, the three uh, constituent peoples uh, represented in, in, in this presidency. But again, I, I'm drawing your attention on this shift from uh, people who now have the possibility to elect their representatives and they want to to give that in in, in the in the hands of the political elite. And personally, I don't think that this is a, a positive step, positive development. Because another interesting uh, development in the past years is that the, the constitutional regime in Bosnia uh, is, 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 is stuck. And it does not allow, for instance, that after a, a regular parliamentary elections, you have a new government as an expression <coughs> of of the will of the people uh, in these elections. So Bosnia is, uh, was stuck in this situation since uh, the last elections, which were on 2nd of October uh, 2010. Uh, so they were not able to, to find, um, to have government. Uh, by the way, they are parallels with, with, with this, uh, another constitutional country per excellence, Belgium. Not, I think, by chance that they've been experiencing a similar problem. But again, at least we can say that today there is not, the, uh, you know, the, the new government as an expression of the will of, of citizens uh, um, during the parliamentary elections. You don't have uh, a new government, but at least you have a presidency that was elected democratically in the very same election. So at least there is one important institution of the country that does have this legitimacy. Uh, so try just to imagine what would happen if you would have even that institution <laughs> elected by parliament. So you would, I, I think that this would, this would uh, uh, represent a major uh, a problem actually in, uh, in, in Bosnia and Herzegovina because at least with this presidency, as Belgium they have, you know, the king at least who, who is, uh, who's there, and uh, well, he's not elected, but still there was uh, one referendum um, in, in 1953 about the return of the king in country, so the Belgian did vote in favor of the king. So, but at least you have one institution. So, uh, I, I'm trying to conclude now, but uh, I, I, by, by expressing so this, 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 this tension that, that we have in, in Europe as well as in Bosnia, uh, I don't have um, an answer uh, to this. In, in, in my own uh, contribution to this volume, I try to advocate for more direct democracy, even in a country like Bosnia, because I think that some direct democratic procedures 
uh, on, on issues, let's say, that are not communal, not ethnic issues, but some more, let's say, technical issues, but they you know, still have an impact and importance for, for the life of, every, of ordinary citizens, like a pension reform or health insurance, etc., that such issues could be also dealt at, uh, at the level of, um, uh, of, of, of direct democracy. So to, to try to empower more citizens instead of taking uh, uh, political power away, uh, away from, uh, from them. Thank you. Thank you very much for those, um, for those comments. And I'll move straight on to um, the next contributor, um, Eleanor Pritchard. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Having received Alex's invitation to um, reflect on how the book connects with the work that I'm doing, I've chosen to pick up on a particular paper, um, that by Seven Pearson, uh, called Bosniazzi instead of Muslimani, a symbolic change in wartime Bosnia-Herzegovina. Um, so I'd like to say before I start, thank you very much to the contributors and editors for inviting me to read the volume and take part in the panel today. It's a great pleasure. So, in this paper, Pearson explores what he calls an apparent paradox, namely why, in 1993, despite efforts by the Muslim elite to re-Islamize the relatively well-secularized Slavic Muslim community of Bosnia-Herzegovina, the Bosnian Assembly decided to replace the term Muslimani, used to denote the Slavic Muslim community in Bosnia during the socialist period, with the secular description Bosniazzi, commonly in English Bosniak. Using a method drawn from social psychology to analyse 28 sources of speeches and newspaper articles, Pearson explores the arguments around this change and identifies three categories of argument. Those linked to history, <coughs> territory, and those about the relationship between Muslims or Bosniaks and other communities. I am neither a Bosnia specialist nor a political identity specialist, and so beg your forgiveness in advance for what might be naive observations linked to this paper and the complex issues it addresses. I'd like to take as my starting point footnote 8 in Pearson's paper, which reads, It must be mentioned that Slavic Muslims in different ex-Yugoslavian republics designate themselves as Bosniaks, although they do not always originate from Bosnia-Herzegovina. I've just returned from a year of fieldwork in Kosovo, and even before reaching footnote 8, when reading this paper, I was constantly reminded of one of my informants in the southern Kosovan city of Prizren, Halim Rahmani, then a 20-year-old first-year undergraduate student at the newly founded State University of Prizren. I met Halim when he applied for an EU-funded scholarship to spend a year in Germany as part of his German studies degree. Halim is from Prizren, and his family is from Prizren as far back as he knows. From his name and surname, one might easily assume he's Albanian, but he's in fact a Kosovan Slavic-speaking Muslim. In a recommendation letter for this scholarship, one of his tutors, himself a German, noted that, in the first month I observed him as a very reserved and almost unintegrated member of the class. I thought it would correspond with his natural character, but it did not. Subsequently, I found out he does not have a common language with his classmates, for he is of the Bosniak minority in Kosovo, whose natural language is Serbian or Serbo-Croatian. He did not speak any Albanian and could only interact with his classmates in German, and that's why he was excluded from the classmates discussions his classmates had among themselves in Albanian. When German was successfully established as the only accepted language in class, Halim presented himself as a cheerful and very communicative character, who not only enriched the subject discussions in class, but also the friendly atmosphere in it. 
As I got to know Hallam, I came to understand he was applying for this scholarship because the German Studies degree curriculum in prison contained compulsory Albanian language modules, which he was unable to pass. And so despite his very good marks in all his other classes, he was unable formally to complete the first year of the programme and so move on to the second. Hallam led me to reflect on the notion of Bosniaks in Kosovo, or Kosovo Bosniaks, in the light of the shift in Bosnia from Muslimani to Bosniaci, and the justifying arguments Pearson outlines clearly in his paper. Do the same arguments underpin use of the term Bosniak in Kosovo? How is the term viewed and understood by Kosovo Bosniaks? What, if any, are the connections between Kosovo Bosniaks, Bosnian Bosniaks, and the state of Bosnia? Bosniak identity in Kosovo was not something at which I was particularly looking during my fieldwork, but I've drawn what follows from fieldwork interviews and other data collected in the field. Looking through data I was given by the Municipal Statistical Office in Prizren, covering the period 1948 to 1991, the category Muslimani first appears in 1971, which correlates with the Yugoslavia-wide introduction of the term in 1968. Unfortunately, it's not possible to use the same source to draw a comparable correlation with the 1993 Bosnian shift of the term Bosniaci because of difficulties with the census data in Kosovo between 1981 and 2010, but it does seem to have mirrored or followed the shift in Bosnia. To return to Halim, he understands the term Bosniak thus. I am from a minority called Bosniak. We talk a language quite similar to Bosnian or Serbian. We are of Muslim religion and are practicing it. Most of us live around Prizren and Pech. I am a Kosovo Bosniak, but there are other group names too. Bosniak is one, also there are Torbesh and Gorani. Bosniak and Torbesh are the same. The Albanian majority calls the Bosniaks Torbesh. The Gorani don't want to be called Bosniak. Their language and habit are much more like Macedonian. They would consider themselves more as Serbs than as Bosniak people. But they are Muslims as well, so there's no great difference between Bosniak and Gorani. And in the time of Yugoslavia, we all called ourselves Muslimani. When pressed on the connections, if any, between his, his community and the Bosniaks of Bosnia, he commented, I've made some Bosnian friends here in Germany. I have other friends in prison who emigrated from Bosnia a couple of years ago. And I also have some good friends in Bosnia who I got to know via the internet. And on his personal connections, if any, to Bosnia, he said, I lived there for four years before the war and I would like <coughs> to go there again, but due to legal requirements it's not possible yet. <coughs> I support the Bosnian soccer team, but I wouldn't say I feel connected to the state of Bosnia. And in overall conclusion, he summarised, I would prefer we were called something else, but I just don't know what. I find it unreasonable to describe ourselves as Bosniak, as we carry nothing Bosniak in us. Neither our habit is much that of a Bosniak, nor our language. We are refused to visit Bosnia. Nevertheless, I describe myself as being a Kosovo Bosniak for the moment. To digress slightly, in this last sentence, there's rather an interesting example of the potential ambiguity between being and naming. Does he describe himself as being a Kosovo Bosniak for the moment, or describe himself as being a Kosovo Bosniak for the moment? And I would argue that such a distinction, or potential distinction, raises questions about whether the change of a category term can be seen as merely symbolic, as the title of Pearson's paper might suggest. So in the light of this very personal perspective from Halim, I return to Pearson's article and the justifying arguments he identifies in his sources for the shift from Muslimani to Bosniaci in Bosnia to see whether any of the arguments might begin to explain how and why at least part of what had been the Muslimani community in Kosovo during the time of Yugoslavia today are described as, or describe themselves as, Bosniaks. 
and on the surface, at least, the answer would appear to be that they do not. Hallam and other Kosovo Bosniaks I've interviewed appear to draw no connection between themselves and the territory, history, state or people of Bosnia. For Hallam, at least, Bosniak seems to identify a particular intersection of language, religion and place of residence, and any connection he feels with Bosnian Bosniaks appears to arise from sharing two of those three aspects in common. Halim's conclusion about the term also makes me wonder why it appears to be tolerated or accepted, despite what he describes as the unreasonableness of it. I suspect that exploration along these lines might lead to examination of dynamic relationships between communities in Kosovo since the Second World War, and discussions about categories of identity marking an individual and community as being not X, as much as it marks them as being Y, or even not not X. Perhaps in the case of Kosovo, Bosniak indicates, at least in part, not Serb, as much as it indicates anything else. Pearson's paper looks at the change from Muslimani to Bosniatsi in a restricted frame, presumably because of the constraints imposed by this being a single paper for a collection. And there are many threads in the paper which it looks as though would be interesting to pursue, perhaps as a collection of papers or even a book. In particular, I would argue it would be valuable to explore this category shift in broader or comparative contexts. For example, the introduction and use of the term Bosniak across ex-Yugoslavia, understandings and rationalizations of the shift not only as a matter of elite discourse, and arguments for, against, and around the shift across a broader time frame, even up to the present day. And I think to do so would enrich the interesting foundational analysis and conclusions Pearson has presented here. Thank you. <coughs> and uh, we'll move straight on to the uh, next contribution. Um, and it's a pleasure to introduce uh, Cecile uh, Jeannot, who's going to speak Thank you, Alex. Okay, thanks. thanks. And uh, first of all, I would like to thank the, the, the organizing committee, Sylvie, Francis, Brian, and Helene, who is not here, for in, who invited me to read and share with you some thoughts on this really stimulating volume. So the time that was allocated to me by Alex won't allow me to do justice to the real richness of this edited book. And uh, the, the editors did a great job at gathering both junior and, and confirmed researchers who come from a variety of perspectives and who shed lights on Bosnian realities from political science, sociology, history, um, gender studies, European studies, etc. As I happen to be a political sociologist with an interest in um, war victims, mobilizations in Bosnia and, and the expression, the everyday expression of war memories, I will focus in this uh, framework on the last two parts of the books, uh, which are more empirically oriented and which I think um, bring two main contributions to the current literature on post-war Bosnia and post-war societies more generally. And then I will delineate some questions that this volume raises for future research. So um, to start with, I think that one of the main contributions of the volume is that it, it evidences the plurality of both individual and collective identifications, and thereby it goes beyond this ethnic bias that um, often pins all Bosnian realities to their ethno-national dimensions. 
So as several of the contributors remark, ethno-national categories do matter, but intermittently and in certain contexts, and other categories for identifications are often relevant. Gorana Mlinarevich and her co-authors uh, pay attention to the ways gender uh, identifications inter intersect with other layers of identity. Um, Julian uh, Descartes, uh, Descartes sorry, pays attention to religious identifications and um, uh, Elin Touke and Brainy Jones look at how uh, look at the potential clash between ethnic categorizations that are instituted and promoted in the, by the state structure and self-identification processes of ordinary so-called ordinary people. So all in all, I think that this paying attention to the links between politics and the everyday and uh, between you know, institutionalized categorizations and everyday self-identifications is extremely timely. And at a recent conference in Graz about the end of Yugoslavia, anthropologist Stef Janssen remarked that uh, it was indeed very timely because after more than 500 books that were published on the des disintegration of Yugoslavia and that were focusing on elite competition and state-level processes, um, so-called ordinary people were treated either as if they were too weak or too stupid to influence the course of events. Steph Janssen added that after this first bulk of elite-focused research, several social, and social anthropologists and the like devoted ethnographic and qualitative attention to ordinary, ordinary people's agency in Bosnia. <coughs> but he said, thereby they unwillingly ended up reproducing the same old division between politica and narod, between politics and ordinary people, that the first 500 books uh, on the disintegration of Yugoslavia hinged upon. And we might draw the same conclusion when looking at identifications um, and the literature on political identities in, in Bosnia. After, you know, these presumptions of ancient ethnic hatreds, hatreds um, finally lost ground in scholarly discourse and when um, ethnographers uh, evidenced the gaps between ethno-nationalist discourses and everyday senses of belonging between politica and obligatory beauty, um, they had the risk to reify the dichotomy between the realm of the state and politics on the one hand and the realm of the everyday. And fortunately, this, this volume goes beyond or tries to go beyond this dichotomy and thereby um, thus follows uh, what Rogers Brubecker and his co-authors reminded us in their last publication you know, on um, nationalist politics and everyday ethnicity in a Transylvanian town. They said that the everyday doesn't exist in a vacuum and that we should pay attention to the filters, to how the ethnicization of political life sometimes filters down into the realm, into everyday um, and everyday life, how it is sometimes resisted, but also how it is sometimes absorbed, be it in a fragmentary fashion, in everyday ways of thinking and talking. And so this, this question of filtering between the realm of politics and the realm of the, of the everyday is one of the questions that this book helps raising and in, a, in, in part answering. Uh, going beyond this dichotomy between politica and narod, between politics and ordinary people, is all the more welcome as uh, it helps us also 
put under critical scrutiny some of the native political discourse. And I mean here that this distinction between politics and ordinary people was in part constructed by the very political actors. One just needs to uh, read some of Alia Izetbegovic's discourses from early 1993 to see that he was um, stating things like um, ordinary people are more clever than the politicians. So um, in a way, it's important to put this native uh, political discourse uh, under scrutiny to go beyond this dichotomy between politics and the everyday life. And it might also help um, fill up a gap in literature. Um, I don't know if you will agree with me, but anyway, I will ask you the question. I sometimes wonder if the native rejection of politics as being immoral has led researchers to neglect the study of party politics and to leave it to um, good consultants and so-called experts. Um, party politics and the links between social movements and political parties um, are often avoided and um, therefore seven persons exploration of intra-SDA, intra-Bosniak nationalist Bosniak party debates um, are very insightful in the same vein as Nina Kaspersen's work on the SDS for example. So I think that this book calls for more um, ethnography of party politics and it calls for uncovering the complexities of, of um, party politics as much as it uh, uncovers the complexities of self-identifications and everyday matters. Now, the second uh, main contribution of this book, in my, in my opinion, is the fact that it contextualizes politi uh, current um, contemporary Bosnian realities in a longer time frame. It examines the continuities and discontinuities uh, of social processes, categories, and norms, uh, more or less, since 1945. Uh, uh, <coughs> um, we can consider the studies that it is very much in the vein of you know, the new Bosnian mosaic or uh, of Isabelle Delpla's Peine de Guerre, which have tried to renew discourse on Bosnian realities by putting them in a historical perspective. In this uh, volume, Ioannis Armakolas' uh, um, contribution, very, which is extremely um, stimulating, uh, so Johan Sarmokolas urges us to study pre-1990 Yugoslavia if we want to grasp the sense of continuity between socialist Yugoslavia and post-Dayton uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina. In fact, it is indeed one of the real contributions of the book to historicize, to help historicize post-war Bosnia. And that's why several contributors do, Igor Stix, of course, uh, who studies the evolution of conceptions of citizenship uh, in Bosnia, but also again um, Gorana Minarevic and her co-authors and Seven Pearson. Maybe uh, one thread that would need to be pursued is the um, fact that we maybe it would be interesting to delineate even more precise temporalities. Uh, why not go earlier than uh, the Second World War, especially if you want to understand the Muslim elite dilemma between national sovereignty and territorial integrity. It has some roots in the interwar period. 
Um, and when studying um, the origins of some processes in socialist Yugoslavia, it can also be interesting to um, put some, to historicize uh, socialist Yugoslavia, because in fact there was not, as one of the contributors said, one Yugoslav cultural agenda. The Yugoslav uh, cultural policies evolved, and it would be interesting to pay may maybe special attention to the 60s and also to, the, to what happened in the 80s, which happened to be, which, which sometimes seems to be a forgotten decade in scholarly as well as popular discourse uh, in Yugoslavia. And um, the same approach could be used uh, to, you know, to pay attention to the different temporalities of the war, to the important turn of mid-1993, etc. So all in all, this volume um, gives us some, in fact, some impetus to put to historicize post-war Bosnia. Um, this attention to temporalities is particularly welcome if we want to study post-conflict societies. And again, as Armakolas remarked, the assumption that we can understand Bosnia and Herzegovina exclusively through the experience of the war is truly misleading. But then it raises a question, how to study a post-conflict society without reducing it to the experience of conflict? How to take into account the continuities from the pre-war war and post-war period, for example, continuities of social groups, <coughs> patronage networks, cultural categories and norms, but how do we also account for the disruptions that were induced by the peace agreement in Bosnia, for example? Uh, that leads me to, the, to a set of more uh, epistemological questions that this volume raises for future students. After um, many elite-focused state-level studies, at last some edited volumes such as this one reckons with the fact that the politics of localities are no less interesting and important that state level, than state-level dynamics and the so-called large picture. And uh, indeed, it seems really refreshing to look at post-war societies from the local perspective. But we should not unreflexively reproduce an enchanted, an enchanted discourse about the local um, and local actors. This discourse that, that we need to have a look at local actors currently pervades through lots of scholarly but also uh, policy-oriented discourse about uh, post-war societies and conflict resolution. Maybe we could ask what we do expect from the change of scale of, ob of observation. What do we expect from this change to, from macro to microscope? Do we hope to see better in a more detailed fashion? Or do we hope to see differently, to see something else? It's a question that micro-historians, you know, Carlos Ginzburg uh, in Italy or Jacques Revel have raised. Um, indeed, it is one thing to choose to focus on a certain locality, be it Burchko, Sarajevo, or Tuzla, because it is supposed to be a so-called Bosnian microcosm, where you expect to see a sort of synecdoc for Bosnian social realities that you will see better on a smaller scale. But it is quite different to claim, like Revel, Jacques Revel, Jacques Revel, sorry, that scales are not continuous, that you, not, you do not observe <coughs> the same thing at the macro, meso, and micro level. And this is this second approach that I thought was well reflected in Bryony Jones's chapter. By using the microscope, by focusing on a village in Burchko district, she observes that what could be 
a mere replication of state-level debates on ethnic integration versus separation is in fact, as she observes it, a conflict over the allocation of resources, which is indeed framed in ethno-national terms. What she also observes by, looking the, uh, by using a microscope is these forms of cooperation between former residents of this village, be, be them uh, Bosniaks or Serbs, um, against, so to say, the newcomers. These forms of cooperation uh, that go across ethnic lines, ethnic divides, are rarely seen when we take a macro approach because of the specific forms of ethnicization of the political life that prevent this kind of, of cooperation. So I think that is, it is indeed extremely interesting to uh, change scales but also to articulate the scales of observation because if we take seriously this idea that scales of, of observations are not continuous, then it can be um, enriching to, 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 art to articulate them, the, the scales of, of observations. So I would say that this volume invites us to reconstruct the multiple contexts, uh, be they local, entity level or state level, that are necessary to make sense of observed behavior. And as I want to keep it brief, <laughs> I will just say that this is a really timely and, and stimulated, stimulating volume, and not least because it associates um, empirically based and theory-oriented um, contributions that really complement each other. So thank you. Thanks And uh, we move on to the final uh, contribution uh, from the panel, panel discussion by Gorana Zornarevich. Um, okay, thanks. I'll I'll really try to be brief. And uh, when just starting for, and starting in, uh, debating about the transitions, uh, this volume of transitions, I would actually start from the title and go back to the title because it's called "From uh, Peace to Shared Political Identities: Exploring Pathways in Contemporary Bosnia and Herzegovina." Why is this important? Uh, at least for me, it is that most of the contributions deal with the consequences and problems caused by the Etion and the imposition of the ethnopolitics and ethnic identities. Uh, and unfortunately, it is, this is something, whoever li like, especially for us who live in Bosnia and Herzegovina, something that is the only shared political identity, even though, like, it is the only lived shared political identity. Uh, yes, the contributions do go outside and, uh, of ethnic biases and they recognize existence of individual identities, but this collective one, this ethno-political one, com constantly remains even with the contributions that are trying to sort of avoid uh, avoid this repetition and this ethno-political focus. And even the responses and questions of, like sort of talk, discussions about the pathways are still directed in this respect, in this sort of uh, ethno-political, ethnic identity directions. Uh, even whoever, like most of us are actually forced, even when we see the other that actually exists within the, our offering, within the political identity offered by our constitution is that it still goes to the ethnic identity. And I would just refer now to the mentioned uh, decision of Sedic and Finci decision. Be even that, 
however however translated is becoming again something that is other becoming only ethnic and there's no way that we can actually sort of uh, get out of this vicious circuit uh, vicious circle uh, because most of the now the only solution for the like sort of yes it's recognized that there is discrimination uh, of non-constituent peoples and this others only becomes just minorities and it's still again only the ethnic one and it is really hard to actually get out of this and it is visible even like sort of from the volume most of the sort of issues, whether we are talking about sort of trying to explain and trying to find the continuities within the sort of former system, we still continue to refer to this ethnic and just trying to see uh, how they are sort of defined and how they came about. Uh, ethnopolitical and ethno-religious identities are somehow sort of explore in this volume that it is explored how, just sort of uh, how sorry just uh, the primary political identities came uh, the question is how the primary ethnopolitical identities political identities came about and this is just every single one that every single uh, contribution actually deals with it uh, however what is really interesting here and what is sort of one step further from apart from just sort of talking about uh, uh, leaving the biases of how the ethnopolitical ethnopolitics were created and that was the uh, the second thing is that this volume actually and some contribution actually starts shyly to suggest alternatives to ethnopolitics uh, there is a contribution by Helene Tuket uh, that she actually offers the post-identification and mobilization. Then we, as already mentioned, there is exploration of Birchko district as a liberal democratic political arrangement in opposition to ethnopolitical uh, arrangement uh, in the rest of country and as mentioned to us we actually um, my colleagues and me try to offer something different just sort of try to get out of this sort of political uh, ethnopolitical identity and just sort of try to explore gender identity but there is always possibility on, on adding any other identity so this is contribution that finally sort of starts addressing potentially offering other alternatives and not just through the political identities but through the different ways of addressing it. Uh, for me as well as Cecile actually mentioned for me really it was one of the contributions that was really significant is the Yonais uh, Armakolas uh, who actually points several things and points about the alternatives points to significance of points to time uh, time timeliness of this volume the first one is actually uh, this is the volume that finally comes after after few years of silence about Bosnia after sort of the first way of fashion after the fashionable writing about Bosnia because something that was caused about war uh, caused about war. This is the first time that is actually sort of coming out of 
real focus. It opens as well another issue which is really important and that is the empirical, uh, the empirical explorations. Quite lots of uh, publications published after and during the war in Bosnia were just sort of made out of assumptions and just made of, out of observations even, even if that was the case. Here we finally are opening sort of space for the empirical ex uh, exploration. The second one is the issue of continuity and finally sort of going back and starting exploring and referring to the uh, to the history just sort of the, the, yes, there is a continuity within Bosnia and Herzegovina. Yes, and it, there were sort of breaking points, but the, it, the Bosnia and Herzegovina hasn't started just started from the war. So that is really a significant sort of uh, si significant contribution of this uh, volume. And however, there is another another issue that I was like like to raise. Unfortunately. This sort of approach to Bosnia and Herzegovina, this sort of uh, starting and recogni recognizing that there is continuity within Bosnia and Herzegovina history and politics, this idea of just sort of going back and trying to see empirical data, trying to sort of refer back to the researches, sociological research, political researches that actually existed uh, prior to the war, is unfortunately in some respect overdue because. Uh, now we are living in Bosnia and Herzegovina. We are having 20 years of educational system and everything else that is actually already influenced by the ethnic division. So yes, with my generation, potentially we could have actually we we could have had this uh, non-ethnic identity and we could have explored it. Unfortunately. Uh, new generations are educated that way that they are going to have this ethnic identity as a primary one. So unfortunately, it would be really nice to actually have that, that we had something like this 20 years ago that people did actually try to uh, not just understand and just take it as axiom as something that ethnic division already existed. Uh, yeah, and the second thing is that I would actually hope that next volumes and everything else, uh, this one is a good starting point, but I would hope for the next sort of volumes exploration, empiricals, researches, that apart from ethnic identity, starting sort of including and exploring other identities, not just that gender, there is always, and we were actually socialist countries, so definitely something that class issues would definitely be timely to, to start researching again um, any other potential political identity. Okay. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you very much. Um, thank you to all the uh, participants in the, in the panel session. Um, I think we've heard <coughs> four or five, including the first comments, um, very stimulating um, and in many ways provocative uh, comments that, uh, that hopefully will stimulate um, a lively debate. And just before I open the, the, the floor, it's, it strikes me like thinking across all, all four, you know, what we've heard is, 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 is actually a reflection of the richness of this very book. That is that the, the panelists have both been talking about the, the problematic um, of, of contemporary Bosnia, of constitutional reform. Grana was just talking about um, education processes, uh, legal decision making, um, you know, questions of how political identities are labelled, but they're very problematic, but also um, questioning 
um, not just what is under observation, but how we observe um, the nature of different methodologies, the scales of observation, the, idea, you know, the benefits or, or possibilities of historicizing <coughs> being a you know, full historical time scale, um, you know, the, the question about um, empirics and what empirics are used. So I think this, this kind of dual feature that, that comes through in reading the book has, has really come out in these, in these panel offerings um, as well. So I'd like to, to open the floor to, um, uh, to the audience um, for any uh, questions, comments, um, or observations. 